We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, welcome again this morning. We are going to continue in our study that we've been looking at shepherding a child's heart, and we've kind of just been going piece by piece and stopping when we uh, have to stop due to the time. We talked about um, different kinds of communication last time with our children, and what he's laying out in the text that I'm looking through here, uh, Mr. Tripp, uh, shepherding a child's heart, is the idea that we work with the child's conscience. Uh, that's really what we're trying to do, I hope, you agree, uh, not just their external behavior. We're working with a child's conscience, and I'll have a lot to say about that over the course of the morning. But using two mechanisms, really, he's saying one is physical or corp- corporal discipline, which we haven't talked about yet, the rod, and the other is communication. And he spends a whole lot more time on the communication side. Um, I think you probably, if you were to kind of count up the uh, relative number of occurrences of the two kinds of disciplinary work, communication is on the much higher in terms of the number of occurrences, right? So, uh, and it's, it's really a way into the, the heart and mind of a youngster. Um, so we talked about uh, assessment, encouragement, correction, rebuke, entreaty, instruction, warning, teaching, and prayer. That's a very important one, prayer. And uh, he... Uh, alerts us to uh, 1 Thessalonians, if you turn there to chapter 514, 1 Thessalonians 514, just kind of draws an application out of this. And what I, what I call this is the principle of adaptive communication or adaptive speech. You're adapting your speech, you're adapting your communication to the need of the moment. In 1 Thessalonians 514, Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, And then notice what he says. Number one, warn those who are unruly. Number two, comfort the faint-hearted. Number three, uphold the weak. And number four, be patient with all. So really you could say there's three, and then the fourth is a global command that deals with all the other three. So be patient with all. So always being patient, but depending on the situation, for somebody in the church, he's talking to the church here in Thessalonica, brothers, uh, if there's somebody unruly, if there's somebody faint-hearted, if there's somebody weak, you address those situations differently. I think most of us have enough uh, emotional IQ to be able to figure out the difference. Some of us are a little lacking in that area and need to improve on that. Um, we, we don't kind of shift gears on our communication transmission uh, as well as we could. And we're just always, you know, uh, you know, like the one way or, you know, always hard or always too soft or something like that. Sometimes we need to shift into higher gear or lower gear 
in order to be able to deal. Somebody who's unruly needs to be warned. And you can't, you know, you can't say, oh, I don't want to warn people. It's too uncomfortable. You know, sometimes you just simply have to do that. Uh, or comfort the faint-hearted or uphold the weak on the other end of the spectrum, we might say. Uh, you say you can lose patience with people that have those kinds of problems, especially if it keeps recurring. And uh, I was ref- reflecting on the, a thought related to this and thinking, you know, we need to be patient because we all are sheep. And so if thinking of it from a pastor's perspective, some people continue to struggle with certain sins over years, even over decades, and uh, patterns of thought, um, challenges in their life, and it behooves us as shepherds of churches, but also shepherds of our children, to be patient and to consider these folks are sheep, and sheep can have recurring problems, like they always need a shepherd. You know what I mean? They always need a shepherd. They always need somebody with a crook or a goad or a prod or a, you know, uh, somebody to fence them in a little bit so they don't go wandering out on the, on the mountains wild and high and all that sort of thing. So we have to be patient. But, you know, sometimes you, you know, have to rein in the, the sheep or uh, bring somebody along who's, who is um, faint-hearted or, or, or is weak. So that's the adaptive communication principle. And uh, there's an example uh, that he gives. I'm going to see if I can find it here. This is in uh, the ninth. Um, it's before this. Probably won't be able to find it right off the top of my head here. No, no, I can't see it. But anyway, the idea was, and if you've read the book, you'll remember the the uh, illustration of the uh, disheveled child. Uh, what do you do? How do you how do you how do you discipline a, a child or train a child who who comes out of his room in the morning for school and he's all disheveled? You know what I mean? Like hasn't combed his hair and put his clothes on straight and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, is there anything wrong with that? Right. I mean, is it a sin to have messy hair? <laughs> You've got to think through this a little bit deeper than just saying, boy, you look sloppy, go back and fix it. You know? So um, you, you as a parent have set an expectation and that you probably have set that expectation a little bit in re- relation to your culture around you and uh, you know what looks presentable at school X maybe not at school Y or you know the culture uh, around us kind of does dictate a little bit of the societal norms but then you as a parent have to decide what are you going to how are you going to run your home and how are you going to direct your children uh, to be so, and if you've told them, you know, you need to brush your teeth and you need to comb your hair and you need to uh, wear this certain kind of clothing, you know, or wear your uniform for school or you know, get your school clothes on or whatever, you can't go out, you know, with uh, sweatpants and, uh, I mean, pajamas is what I call them. <laughs> uh, 
the child needs to do that because they are told to to obey their parents, right? So now you have to be cautious as to laying down rules that are unjustified as a parent, you know, and you have to be careful not to put your child to the test beyond what they are able. God does that for you. You need to do that for your child, okay? So... um, explain to the child why and talk to them about their heart in the matter and laziness and diligence and all of that. This is a multi-layered kind of thing. It's not just a, there's not just a formula. Um, so that really kind of touched on uh, the rest of what I wanted to say about chapter 9. It kind of finished up from last time. In the 10th chapter, he's talking more about communication uh, in the text and um, I wanted to uh, go over some more of that with you uh, in some detail. This is uh, a life of communication is what he calls it. And one of the principles is you need to have significant talking with your children in non-troubled times. Significant talking with your children in non-troubled times. And what, I mean by, what do I mean by troubled times? Well, when they're in trouble <laughs> or they're having some struggle. So significant communication with them on substantive issues in non-troubled times. And that will open the door for significant communication during troubled times as well and lay the foundation for that kind of communication. So you can't just be a parent who flies in to put out the fires. You have to be a parent who's there all the time and putting out the fires will become more straightforward and easy. When we're shepherding the heart of a child, we're helping them understand themselves from God's perspective. Okay? The world is full of people understanding themselves from their own perspective. And it's a foolish perspective. You know, the follow your own heart perspective, the rebel against authority perspective. Uh, you know, the I'm my own boss perspective used to be called years ago, look out for number one perspective. It's all the same, okay? It's all self. It's all self-centered and selfish. So you want to help us, help our kids understand themselves from God's perspective regarding sin. Uh, And when I say that, I mean their sin, not just sin, you know, like floating out there in the ether an abstract idea of sin. We can talk about that, and we, we're masters at doing that. We kind of abstract it from ourselves and separate ourselves from, we like, I was thinking of this too, the idea of compartmentalizing. We kind of compartmentalize ourselves, like, you know, here we are, and here's that sin thing, or, you know, here's the, 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 the things that we're doing, we kind of compartmentalize those, but we don't connect them to a bigger picture uh, either. But don't, don't, uh, don't abstract it out or compartmentalize yourself away from it. So talking with your kids about sin and salvation, uh, about God and about Jesus. And I would say, too, one of the things that I have been alerted to by reading this is just the need that when we talk to our kids about the gospel, we need to talk to them about far more than Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead, and you need to believe that. That's, um, that is elementary, okay? 
What I mean to say is this, that we need to get beyond that to the idea that he's trying to get here that if the, out of the abundance of the heart, the life arises out of, out of the, uh, the, the issues of the heart, you know, is life from that Proverbs passage that we looked at earlier in our series. We've got to help our kids, which means we have to help ourselves to understand that the gospel is not just about judicial uh, or forensic truth. My, have I lost you when I said that? It's not about positional truth only. When, when somebody comes to know Christ, two, two major things happen to them. Positionally, they're put in Christ, they're saved, they're justified, they're given a right standing, but something else happens to them. They are regenerated. Regeneration is a critical element of our understanding of the gospel. So when we're talking about the gospel, we're trying to get our kids to understand is your heart is deceitful, deceitful desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't even know it. It does deceiving, beguiling things. It tries to trick you, blind you, um, mislead you. And that this is what we're talking about with sin and the solution to sin. Their sin, not just sin in general, their motives, their goals, their wishes, their power center, and trying to help them to understand you cannot by yourself obey God unless you're regenerated. You cannot. You need help. And another implication of this, let me just set this in your mind, but then set it on the shelf for a moment. When you're asking your kids to uh, do something to obey, teaching them, don't teach them a dumbed-down standard which they can keep by themselves with no help. That turns them away from the gospel and turns them into Pharisees and hypocrites. You know, if you just say, well, they, they can't do that, and you, have a, you, know, you kind of have a good idea of what human inability is, human depravity does, that's good. But then don't just say, well, we'll accept this lower standard. You know, like, well, they put out the trash, but, you know, what sounds were coming out of their mouth when they were doing it, right? What was their attitude in their heart when they were doing it? And you say, oh, well, whatever. They're, that's, they're incapable of handling that, so we'll just accept that they put the trash out. Uh, they can put the trash out in a completely unacceptable manner. And so... Uh, we're setting that thought aside for the moment, but don't dumb it down. What you have to do is you have to hold God's standard as God's standard, do all things without complaining and disputing, for instance. And then when they say, well, that's very, or you say to them, train them, that look, that's very difficult. In fact, it's impossible to do without God's help. Then you're getting to the issue of where they need this because they need help from outside themselves. They can't just generate it up within themselves. All right, we'll set that aside for a moment. Now, uh, when we're talking about communication with our kids, when do you do that? Yes, you do that those times, um, but there are a lot of times when you're not communicating with your kids, when you're working, when they're sleeping. When you're sleeping, when you're doing various things around the home, uh, we need to think about when can I make time to communicate with my kids. 
uh, one one thing that I was thinking of when I was writing my notes. It just these, by the way, these are <laughs> you would not ever want to see these notes. They're just uh, my hen scratch, chicken scratch, whatever you call it. But um, I just was thinking about some things as I was reading through this and jotting things down. Timing of of communication is going to require us as parents to prepare our hearts to serve when it's inconvenient. When it's inconvenient. You know, you're, if you're like me, you're always busy, almost always busy. You have things that you're doing. Um, you get tired at a certain hour in the evening when teenagers aren't yet tired. So are you just going to say, no, forget it, we'll talk about it tomorrow? Or are you going to spend the time to talk about it for a little while? Um, one uh, pastor uh, I was uh, listening to said he took, this op- he took an opportunity uh, early on in his kids' lives to, they had maybe three or four kids, and he would rotate through each one of them on different nights of the week, and they had a bedtime at, say, 9.30 or something like that. Well, the one kid who had that time slot with dad on Tuesday got to stay up a half an hour later, and his dad would do a devotional and uh, talk to him about some issue or about the day or, you know, whatever, and just did that every week. So it was a little bit of a privilege for the youngster because they didn't have to go to bed as early as the other ones <laughs> that night. But I thought that was a neat uh, approach that he took to try to carve some time in order to communicate with the children. And it wasn't always, you know, heavy communication, right? Because if you're doing it right along, you don't necessarily have to, you know, it's not just when you have to jump in to fix, to put out a fire, but it's, it's ongoing, you know, maintenance. And uh, that's a good thing. So be, be prepared to serve perhaps when it's inconvenient, when you're too tired, when it's too late, um, or uh, so on. The other thing when you prepare yourself is you have to prepare yourself to shut your mouth. That's a virtue that adults need to learn with kids. Listen. Listen. Um, Humble yourself to listen. It's foolish not to listen. Your kids are telling you things when they talk that probably have more significance than you initially realize on the, just the mere surface of the words. They're in, they're, if you have a good communication with them, they're letting you in on uh, issues that are bothering them or difficult for them to handle. So timing, listening, very important. Uh, you also want to demonstrate in your communication with your kids your own spiritual life. Uh, Paul told Timothy that he wanted his progress, let your progress be what? Ask Jansen, remember that? Let your progress be evident to all. Yeah, let it be known. Let, make it so that people see that you're progressing in your walk with the Lord and in your ministry. For parents, you want to uh, open the window a little bit on the progress of your spiritual life with your kids because you're just a big version of a kid. Um, you know, the more, I, the more I go through this material, the more I'm convinced this is like not just how kids change, this is how adults change. This is how we have to process and get to the bottom of our own heart and not be deceived about ourselves. So we demonstrate our spiritual lives. We repent, 
We uh, express perhaps our fears without being fear-mongering. We express our prayers. We confess our sin. We apologize for what we've done wrong with our kids, to our kids. We've done something wrong to our spouse before the ki- in front of the kids. We need to confess that so that they see that. Um, all of those sorts of things. Humbling, yeah, but if your kids don't see the real version of Christianity, what version are they getting? You know, the fake version? <laughs> Probably none, nothing. Right, because they'll say, well, that's not for me. That's not real. Um, another thing that I thought of and when I was reading this, I'm not sure if I uh, picked this up from here or, or I augmented with these notes, but think about this. You might ask your, think about asking your kids different questions. And one of the questions that I came up with was, and I haven't done a test run on this yet, um, but I, I, I shall. What is it, ask, and ask your, you know, this is for older kids now, I'm thinking. Um, what is it that you believe I don't understand about you? What is it that you think that I don't get about you? Now listen and see what they say. What is I wonder what you'd find out. <laughs> it might not be pretty, right? <laughs> you, you might realize something that is legitimate or that there's something that's not legitimate but that your youngster thinks is and needs instruction to un- unwind from that. That's right, yeah. So, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Part of demonstrating your spiritual life is showing dependence on God, and you can do that by, you know, saying to yourself or even out loud, "Boy, I'm very tired, but I'm going to trust the Lord to help me to be able to uh, talk with you for a few minutes here before uh, we retire for the evening." So, yes, the youngster is very important, and uh, their their life is more important than your sleep. Now, you knew that when they were three months old and they needed food at three in the morning, right? You kind of intuitively knew that. And so you gave up your sleep in order to provide for their needs. But they don't need food necessarily. Well, they always need food when they're teenagers. But anyway, <laughs> you, get, you get what I'm saying. You know, they can go to the refrigerator and get their own milk or whatever, but... They, uh, they, need, they need to talk, and they're more important than an extra half an hour of sleep for you that you could get later, catch up on, or do something else. So 
what is it that you believe that I don't understand about you? That's an interesting question. Um, we want to strive to fix disagreements with communication, um, you know, and not, and not non-communication. We have this idea that, well, if I let it go, it'll just disappear, but people have very, you know, long memories, you know. Talk about, talk about elephants having long memories. Uh, people do too. And so we need to fix disagreements with communication rather than with silence or with trying to say, well, the time, time will just pass and time will heal all wounds. And uh, no, it won't because there are kids who are adults, who became adults, whose wounds never were healed. And, uh, you know, we don't make excuses for that in the pop psychology kind of way and say, oh, well, they're there now. Your bad behavior today is excused because of your poor childhood before. But uh, there's still a reality that they have uh, had that. So um, if you have, and I'm just going to, you know, continue to give you some thoughts as I read through here in the communication chapters. You have two two things with your kids in, in uh, varying amounts perhaps, hopefully both on the high scale, high on the scale, but maybe not. You have authority and you have influence. They're not the same thing, okay? Authority and influence. God, we talked about this earlier, God has placed you in such a way that you can come alongside your child and you are over your child, okay? You're a parent and you're a friend. You're not one or the other. Make sense? You can't, be, you can't be a friend to the exclusion of a parent. You can't be a parent to the exclusion of one who comes alongside. And I just think about talking with our kids and thinking about how they're just dealing with the very same things that I did when I was a teenager or the very same things that I deal with now, only in a, you know, plus 30 years version <laughs> than what I was when I was, a, you know, their age. Um, and so I can come alongside with patience and compassion and say, I'm there with you. I know exactly what you're feeling. I've had the same struggles, mortifying sin and that sort of thing. But you have authority and you have influence. And the bare use of authority can kind of get the job done sometimes, but it may not be very influential in your kid's thinking. And you can have influence. Uh, and hopefully your youngsters are willingly under the influence of uh, their parents. As the child's trust elevates in you because you treat them properly, biblically, as the trust elevates and hopefully you know, if they're coming along in the things of God, then your influence also increases. And uh, the thought was with those two things in mind, if you have influence, you hardly need authority in order to get change. Does that make sense? If you have influence, you hardly need authority. Now, you, would, you do need authority. You, you don't, don't just need it. You have it. You're a parent. But as the trust increases between you and the influence arises between you, you have influence. You don't need the authority, the raw authority to have them do something. They will 
their heart will respond to that influence that you have with them. Does that make sense? So that it's more of an interpersonal relationship rather than a boss to a slave or employee kind of uh, mindset. Team more so, coach more so than dictator idea. So strive to have that good influence in your kids' lives. Uh, not that you'll be able to uh, automatically make it happen. It's a long process. And especially only if the youngster is keen to walk with the Lord and the things of God. That makes it much easier, of course. Uh, teach your kids, too, in terms of communication. And actually, we need to teach ourselves this. Teach yourself and teach your youngsters to articulate their thoughts to one another. If you've come, have you come to a place where you uh, are, say, I know what I'm thinking, but I can't explain it? And your kid may do the same, or, or not, I don't know. Well, you have, you have to know how to do that for yourself, but then you also have to help tease that out of the young person in your life. Help them to be able to express thoughts because if they can't, they're going to be emo- They're going to be unable to re- to relate to other people in a decent fashion going forward. Uh, you can't just be silent and communicate what you mean or what you want to say. You have to be able to articulate those thoughts. And particularly, I'm thinking about thoughts related to spiritual life, thoughts related to your heart, what you're feeling, uh, motivation, desires, things like that. Uh, we, need to work, we need to work diligently on that aspect of it as well. Feelings, ideas, not only actions, but we can communicate with our kids about all of those things. We can communicate about temptations. You know, who wants to talk about fears? I mean, uh, you know, after the early stage when the kids talk about, you know, the fear of the boogeyman in the closet or whatever, when does a teenager talk to their parents about their fears, what they fear? Hmm. Too embarrassing to talk about that, isn't it? They don't want to talk about that. I mean, maybe, maybe you have a relationship with one of your children where they are comfortable to talk about those things. What doubts they have, what, what hopes they have, what expectations, a lot of that's just kind of kept inside and not expressed. But hopefully we can help one another to express those kinds of things. Um, parenting is one of your most important tasks. I, I don't know... If I can rank, if I can rank your tasks, you know, or rank your priorities, but parenting has got to be right up at the top two or three. I, I don't know. I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about all the list of possible things, but I mean, these are kids. These are people we're talking about here. You know, you can get another job. You can't get another kid to replace that. That kid can't be replaced. You know, you can. You know, get another house, you know, so that's not a priority that rises to the top. Your children are extraordinarily important, and the stewardship of a life 
is so infinitely more important than the stewardship of a lawn or of a job or of whatever. You have that. It's not an inconvenience. Parenting is not. But t- today people look at parenting as an inconvenience, don't they? Uh, have the baby, warehouse the baby. You know, I don't agree with that at all. I don't know where you're at on that, but if you're going to have a, a child, raise the child. <laughs> you know, at least you've got to raise the child in the early years until they go off to school. Now, you may disagree with me about that, but I think I can justify that biblically. And the stewardship responsibility is so important that you don't want to entrust it to any person, (laughs) you know, just any old body to do that because it's inconvenient for you. Uh, The society looks at kids as inconvenient for the progression of the parents' careers, so they elevate the career above the parents. The society looks at kids as inconvenient, um, uh, inconvenient, so inconvenient, in fact, that we better not have them, or if we're about to have one, we'll terminate it. Right? That's how far off we have gotten. I was speaking with somebody yesterday. You know, we, uh, do you know how many children? How many children? What's the birth? What's the birth rate that a, a nation, a society needs in order to replace itself, in order just to keep keep going? Anybody know? Two and a half is a little bit high. Has to be two point one, I think, at least. To just to maintain a society. Well, you don't have point one of a kid, right? But uh, so I just say, well. You got to round up. I mean, you got to have three because you know. <laughs> now, obviously some people have to have more than two, and other the other people have two or less than two. But you get the point. On average, otherwise you're not going to be able to even replace your society. And God said, "Be fruitful and multiply." He didn't just say, you know, two point one. You know, if it's two, you can't just do two, right? It makes sense. Two parents can't just have two kids because some of those kids, what? Across the whole society, some will not survive until adulthood to have children. So you have to have more than two. So it makes sense you have to have more than two, right? But uh, we look at kids as, you know, inconvenient, and we don't look at it like God looks at it. Um, did I tell you the, the, the story about the fellow who is from Mexico? He, uh, he was talking to his... Um, He's a fellow who's a fine Christian fellow, and I was talking to him a number, number of, well, maybe months ago now, and his uh, friends were saying how they got a new house and they got a new car, you know, different ones, and he was very pleased to tell me, I don't have all that, but I just got a new baby. I just had a new baby. And you think about that, BMW or baby? Which is more valuable? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You think about that attitude, and uh, if you can raise, you know, a bunch of children instead of having a bunch of cars in your garage, man, that's powerful, isn't it? That just kind of highlighted to me the, 
proper Christian attitude about stewardship for children, that there's nothing wrong with having a whole bunch of kids. People look at well, they're, they're multiplying like rabbits, <laughs> you know. They're having eight, they have eight kids already. What are they doing? They're doing what God told them to do. They're doing what they feel is they're convicted to do. You know what? The more the merrier. Have at it. A girl in the high school class, one of 22 children. Wow. That's a very high number. <laughs> that, that family is doing their part to try to get that 2.1 up, you know. <laughs> but you know what? I bet that family has a lot of joy when they all get together. A lot of happiness. Well, if, they can all fit, if they can all fit in the same house, right, <laughs> with their families, yeah. Anyway, um, a final thing on this, and then we'll have to uh, put a pause on it, but you cannot go back and correct what you've done wrong. Okay? You can make adapt- adapt- adaptations and adjustments to try to help, but you have to correct now forward. You have to correct now forward. Now is the time to do that, not later after it's too late, and I would you know, hasten to add, don't, don't rush in your mind, don't rush your youngsters off um, out of your you know, home and influence too early. I can't, I, it's, I've heard people say, you know, boy, when, John, when, 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 you know, when Johnny turns 18, he's out. Really? And who are you thinking is, um, why, why are you saying that? Who is the most important person in your life? You? <laughs> or are you willing to have them stay a little longer? N- not to be infants, not to be juveniles, but they're not done developing when they're 18. Not by far. Yeah, in fact, those can be some very fruitful years, those later teenage years and and into the early, early 20s. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to ponder these matters and think about them. Help us to adapt our communication as we looked at in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, 5 and Lord for verse 14, and then also to think about our jobs as we're commanded in Scripture to uh, bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to do so with a open eye to the theology, the reality of the human condition, and then be able to apply that. I hope these messages have uh, been helpful. They have been, to study them has been for me, and I pray to present them for these folks too, as it causes us to think about areas where we need to improve in our uh, leadership in our homes. And uh, for some of us, Lord, we have older children. Some of us younger. We're all at different places Some of us have children who are out of the home. Some of us haven't had children. But these principles can certainly be helpful to us in our interactions with all people. And I pray that they will be in Jesus' name. Amen.